the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Friday, Chicago Land. This is the Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by my partner in crime, Ian Simpkins. <laughs> Ian, I feel like we made it through the polar vortex. We made it to the end of the week, and uh, here it is. It's Friday. The weekend is coming. The warmer weather is coming. February is here. Can't can't complain about that. It's practically balmy outside. I was thinking about wearing shorts. <laughs> The good news is, too, our producer behind the glass, Josh, came back today. Josh, he, he was going to go see Richard Dreyfus last night in my hometown of Downers Grove. So oh, right on. looking forward to hearing all about that from him. <laughs> but he, he didn't stay out too late, so he still made it back in with us. Well, again, this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You can follow us at Facebook on The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. We like to have dialogue there. We post articles, all sorts of stuff like that. would love to hear from you and get to know you a little bit there. Or online at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. And there you can find old shows and other things. Well, Ian, as we said, today, I believe, is February the 1st. That's right. Um, You believe? (laughs) I believe it's February the 1st. I get all confused with my dates. Uh, And with that is the start of Black History Month. Uh, amongst other things, and uh, you were telling me something cool about the beginning here of February. Yeah, I found that uh, all across the country, um, they're playing uh, Black Panther in theaters for free the entire month. Wow. All over the place. Did you did you see Black Panther? I have not. I, you, I've barely seen any movies as of late, but I heard it was phenomenal. It's fantastic. You have to see it, and regardless of where you're listening to this, in fact, uh, I have a website for you right now. Uh, you can just go to we ticketit.com slash Black Panther. So that's we ticketit.com slash uh, Black Panther. And for uh, all of February, for all of Black History Month, um, they're playing uh, Black Panther for free at select theaters. And there's like more than a dozen right here in Illinois that are participating. So can't encourage you enough to get out, see that film, invite some friends, have a discussion time afterwards, talk about the themes and the things that kind of hit you or the things that revealed other parts about what you believe. I, I just think it's a really, it's a really great film. I will have to go see it. I do like free. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I know you do. Free, free is preferable. So check that out online. It's also Super Bowl weekend. And uh, Sunday will be the New England Patriots against the Los Angeles Rams. I still always want to say the St. Louis Rams. Uh, I know. But in, I the, know. in the ultimate championship game for football, uh, some people love the game like myself. Other people just love the commercials. Other people just love the parties and the food. Uh, but all of that is happening this weekend. So uh, you excited for the Super Bowl? I am. I, you know, it's hard because um, the Lions, which are my team, 
uh, haven't won since before it was called the Super Bowl. So, so <laughs> otherwise so known there, as hasn't won. <laughs> it was called it was a national championship. Like so, like not ever since there's been a Super Bowl have the Lions uh, won a Super Bowl. So it's a little bit. It's a little bit bittersweet, but like to me, I love I love playoff and championship games, regardless of whether or not I even care about the teams. I just I just like the competitiveness. I like the I like the camaraderie too. It seems to just bring people together. Also, divide. Now, now also that I'm thinking divide. about it, it does both, doesn't? <laughs> well, my favorite team, the New York Giants, have I've seen them win four Super Bowls, so I guess that's good. I think that's yeah, good. that's not bad. <laughs> better than us. Try to remind myself at this time of year. Uh, but with the Super Bowl in mind, I came across an interesting article at Christian Headlines, and it's entitled this, A Super Bowl title didn't bring him true joy, but Christ did. Hmm. Uh, and I just found this inter- just heartwarming and kind of a, a good challenge as well. A guy by the name of uh, Clint Gresham. Gresham pl- was a long snapper who played six seasons in the NFL, including five with the Seattle Seahawks, and he won a Super Bowl in 2014. And he tells this story. He says, after they won the Super Bowl, I remember I was in the hot tub for practice with a couple of guys, and we were just talking about winning the Super Bowl. I'm like, man, I keep winning. I keep waiting for it to sink in that we won the Super Bowl, and we're all saying that. Yeah. When What I realized all of us meant by that was, I keep waiting for this thing to make me happy the way I thought it would, wow. and it hasn't, and now I'm actually kind of scared about that because I've made this my life pursuit, and I got a Super Bowl championship, and I'm still wanting more that sounds wow. like uh that sounds straight out of scripture right there that's that's pretty heavy that's pretty yeah. interesting yeah no kidding i think it's uh well the quote that i've used a couple of times the jim carrey quote right and he mm-hmm. said i wish everyone could accomplish all of the dreams everything they've ever hoped for so that they could see that it's not the answer and i i appreciate his honesty of not being ungrateful like he's you know he's grateful for the chance to to win the super bowl but it it not delivering the way that he thought it would is an experience that I think all of us have had, whether or not you're a professional athlete, the, the idea that once I get this thing, uh, then I'll finally be at peace or then that'll like fill the void of the hunger. And we've probably all at some level like felt the weight and sting and disappointment of actually getting that thing yeah. and then taking stock of like our own hearts and being like, oh, that didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I shared this stat with you. I think it was last week when it just comes to money. Uh that no matter what, they have st- studies have found that every segment of our population believes if they just made 10% more than what they're currently making, that they would be joyful and happy oh, and gosh. content. I think content was also the word. Uh, and we all know in Scripture, contentment is found in Christ and in Christ alone. But yet so many of us chase so many different things. Like, I get what you're saying, but I'm still going to go for the money. Uh, I'm still going to go for the fame. I'm still going to go for the position or the job, or in Gresham's case, I'm still going to give everything I have to winning the Super Bowl, and then he reaches that pinnacle, and it's not there. Uh, But there's something inside of all of us that says, man, but maybe for me it will be different. Yep. Well, I think, too, there's been timeless authors and theologians that have spoken to this uh, exact idea. Um, I I think of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says, God can't give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. So when we like seek happiness and purpose and meaning in these other places, it's, it's not God being mean and not letting those things satisfy. It's like, you're just not why that's not how I created you to, to live. You know, when Augustine says you've created us for yourself and we'll be restless until we rest in you. Like that is hardwired regardless of your age or talent or experience or language or continent. 
um, that when we, you know, we chase these things. And I think I've definitely been on the other side of that thing. Yes. like, well, at least let me get the mansion and decide that for myself. Let me right? make like the guess. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've certainly experienced that in small ways, thinking like certainly this will bring uh, the kind of purpose that I'm, I'm seeking after. And when it doesn't, it can be really unnerving on the other side of accomplishing what you thought would bring you peace. Yeah. And let me ask you this. I'm going to throw a pastoral question for you sure. for a minute. Uh, if somebody asked you, how does a relationship with Christ bring me peace or contentment? How would you answer that question? Gosh, I, I would want to do it over a cup of coffee. You, with, instead with of some, a minute before the break. <laughs> right, totally. But, but I think it all comes down to identity. To know that the truest thing about us is that we're loved first and foremost. Yes. That our identity in Christ is received, not achieved. It doesn't mean that we stop striving. That we stop working, that we stop pouring blood, sweat, and tears into things that we're passionate about. But it means that those things don't define me, that I'm not the sum of my accomplishments. And that is an invitation, I think, to hop off, hop off the treadmill, not of striving, but of, of trying to earn affection or favor or purpose or meaning. Because in Jesus, it's given freely. And then from that position, man, all of life is sacred. Then everything that I do um, is a chance to bring him bring him glory and that means that you know if i am not making this dollar amount or i haven't won this title um that there's nothing i could do to make god love me more or love me less and that is i just think that's incredibly freeing and i i like i asked you that because you always have good pastoral words they, they always man. encourage me i thanks, appreciate man. it <laughs> thanks folks we find our contentment and our joy ultimately in who we are in christ that's a good word for us to live by uh, on this friday afternoon well we're off and running here on the common good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about distraction. Uh, what do we do with how distracted we are specifically in this culture that we live in? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, we enjoy doing this show because it gives us an opportunity to talk about things that we all wrestle with. We're both pastors, but we're also just trying to figure out how to best live this life of following yeah. Jesus in amongst the mess. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook uh, at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show, as well as online at 1160hope.com. Also, just want to let you know that today's show is just going to be an hour long instead of the normal two hours long, but it's for a really good reason uh, because at 5 o'clock, we are going to be replaying Julie Royce did a show, uh, a special called The Church in Crisis, uh, and it's going to be playing from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock uh, here on AM 1160. She's got some fascinating interviews and is just taking a look, not just at Harvest Bible Chapel that she's been doing a lot of work with, uh, but also just the, the evangelical church across the board here uh, in America, and she's trying to raise some some hard questions in many ways, Julie, as we've gotten to know her is pretty prophetic. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and so I would encourage you to stay on and listen to that at five o'clock. So that's why we're only an hour today. Uh, but with that hour, we want to do some good stuff. Uh, so uh, Ian, you and I were looking at a, at a great story, an article at Patheos uh, on their blogs uh, about distraction and what is uh, we live in a very distracted culture. Um, I joked with you before as we were discussing this. We were discussing this while I was looking at my phone. Uh, we, <laughs> we live in great distraction. We have more information. We have more ability to do various things. Uh, it, we talk about multitasking all the time. Uh, and this article wants to get at this question. What, is, 
what does distraction do to us? Uh, what's it do to our soul? What? It, how does it play into our image of God and our relationship with God? And I know that you were chomping at the bit with this one, fascinated by this article. So uh, uh, what were some of your takeaways? I'm sorry. What was that? I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So there's, uh, I just got to read this one paragraph because I think it's, I think it, it gets at so many really fascinating things. It says the dichotomy between good attention and bad distraction is so fundamental that it's written into the very language we use to mm. talk about attending. So consider the phrase, I pay attention. It implies that attention is valuable, a type of currency we deliberately and consciously invest in. When I pay attention, I'm in control of my action, and I'm aware of its value. Now compare this with the phrase, I am distracted. Suddenly, we're dealing with a passive and vulnerable subject who suffers an experience without doing much to contribute to it. And, and mm. what, what the story is really getting at is uh, we're not taking honest stock of the ways that we are proactively distracting ourselves. I, I think about this even in my own life, watching my 15-month-old son um, how much he wants to hold my phone because he sees how much attention I give it. Wow. Like he, I'm modeling this for him and he doesn't really know what it does or what its purpose is, but he, all he knows is, man, dad looks at that probably too much. I want to look at that too. Like that's been such a convicting thing to, to see in his life. Like, and that even in our language, we do often talk, oh, I am distracted. No, no, we're, we're giving ourselves. And this mm. story goes on to say, not just our not just our, our eyesight, but in a lot of ways we're giving ourselves to these things that um, aren't evil by any stretch, but there are things that we are actively, consciously distracting ourselves with, and uh, and that has some pretty some pretty scary ramifications. Absolutely, and I feel this so, di- so deeply as a dad specifically and as a mm-hmm. husband uh, that I, I might be home but not be present. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and, uh, right. you know, whether it be the phone or whether, and I do feel like, again, my kids, uh, they're getting older. They are freshmen in high school, fifth grade and fourth grade. Uh, and I feel like they have taken on the uh, the ability to get distracted. Like mm. they are just, they also are distracted all the time. They're on their phone while the TV is on or they're, um, you know, we're trying to talk to them and they're they're looking at something else. And I do think this is only going to be increasingly a big deal for us. We see it in our churches too, right? We still get up and talk for 30 minutes and people are just kind of looking around going, uh, you know, what are you doing? So um, what do you think uh, distraction does to our soul? What does it do well, to who we are as people? I th- I think there's a reason uh, that the church for centuries has paid a lot of attention energy to this. Like anytime that I see, you know, there's and there's a lot of books written about holy attention, and I highly encourage you to, to Google some and to make that a priority because um, when I look at stuff that we've struggled with for centuries, I realize, at least for me, this is A, not a new issue, but B, uh, not a peripheral one. So yes. if there's that much that the church and early writers and early thinkers and early theologians have addressed, I think um, I just think that that's, that's really fascinating. In fact, there's this uh, the 17th century poet named uh, John Donne, and he said, uh, I'm not all here. I'm here now preaching upon this text, and I'm at home in my library considering whether St. Gregory or St. Jerome have said best this text before. I'm speaking to you, and yet I consider, by the way, in the same instance, what it's likely you will say to one another when I have done. You are not all here, neither. You, you are here now hearing me, and yet you are thinking that you have heard a better sermon somewhere else This uh, of this text before. And that's speaking particularly to the experience of a preacher, you know, kind of being present but not totally present. And, you know, we've all had a cup of coffee with somebody who was, like, physically there, but yes. clearly their brain was somewhere else. I know that I've been that person. 
I think this idea of of holy attention, of being intent, like taking uh, thoughts captive and being mm. mindful of what we actually give our energy to. Um, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago that was talking about this idea of attention merchants. Um, that attention is the new currency of power. So, you know, historically it used to be armies or wealth or fortresses, but in, in a lot of cases, the people um, that can hold our attention hold the most power. And I think about the things I give my attention to, and that was a frightening realization. I was like, I don't think I want to give that that much power in my life. I'd never thought about um, attention as, in some ways, submission to that thing. And how, how am I mindful and intentional about what I give my attention to? And that, that, is, that has been a very convicting journey for me this last week. That's really good. I, Augustine, it says here, it says, Augustine's God is not only omniscient and omnipotent, uh, that's all-knowing, right, and all-powerful, but also omni-attentive, hmm. being, uh, having, uh, being, <laughs> having his attention on everything. Yeah. Um, and for me, to, to have, um, to, to not be distracted, and this is going to sound backwards, but it's 100% true, to not be distracted takes a lot of work. Yeah, right. Like, right. no, no, I'm going to be fully present with my children right now, even if my phone goes off. So I'm going to go put my phone away. We're going to turn the TV off. Or we're, now I'm out to dinner with one of my kids or with my wife. We're not going to do that. You know, we're, we're going to put our phones away. We're going to do this. Like, I mm. think the default has become distraction for us. Mm. And, and therefore, it takes work to be fully present uh, as much as we can. Sometimes life is just distracting, but especially in those important moments where it doesn't have to be, sometimes we're just distracted because we don't want to think and we just want to be lazy and just kind of be there. But um, I think, I think uh, being attentive requires a lot of intentionality that can be tiring and difficult sometimes. Well, and it, it also takes, um, I think, some honesty too about what, what, what is it about um, this distraction that's so appealing? What, what is it like deep in my soul that is causing me to, to constant, you know, to have like 17 tabs open on my laptop or to, to always be like attending to 17 different things. Like that is a symptom of something deeper and yeah. to do the hard heart communal work of like uprooting that a little bit and not just giving attention to the right things, but also being mindful of my own obsession with having attention paid to me, you know, like that also can be a scary journey, but a really, really helpful one. You know, people are always nervous about becoming obsolete. And so we're, you know, we're posting constantly or we're sharing constantly. I've certainly fallen into that. Yes. I think that's, that's an important conversation for us to have as well. Well, that's what we like to do here on the common good. We all struggle with this, with being distracted. And we want to ask the question, uh, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate a world that is set up for us to be distracted, but instead give the attention and focus to the things that are most necessary to, to give ourselves to what is best? So this is The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. Uh, you can find us at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. Coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Candy Cushman uh, from Focus on the Family. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, one of our partners here at AM 1160 WILL is Focus on the Family. In fact, uh, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon on this station. 
And with that in mind, we're excited to welcome back Candy Cushman. Candy is a leading national expert on education issues affecting pub- public and private education, including things like school choice and homeschool initiatives. Um, and she is, uh, she's the founder and facilitator for Focus on the Family's annual student-led Bring Your Bible uh, to School Day. So, Candy, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Yeah, and what we wanted to talk to you specifically about today is that there is a uh, there is a law, there is a bill that's kind of uh, making its way up through the go- through the government in Colorado uh, that particularly yourself and Focus on the Family who live out there in Colorado are very concerned about. Why don't you speak to our audience about that? Yeah, this is really part of a disturbing trend that I feel like is, is going on right now uh, nationally with states trying to introduce really what are draconian requirements that – I think really destroy local control and rob parental rights because they basically amount to a state mandate on how every public school has to talk about sexuality. Um, so really what it does is it says if the school decides to have any discussion of sexuality, then it has to include all of these things, and, and that includes um, promotion of, of homosexuality and transgenderism. Um, if they talk about uh, what the outcomes of teen pregnancy, then they have to include abortion and part of that discussion. Um, so it's no surprise that this bill is backed by one of the largest abortion providers in the nation, Planned Parenthood. Mm. Uh, it's also backed by the ACLU. And, and when you see national groups getting involved like that, that tells you this, this is not just isolated to our state. This, this is a trend that's happening um, where you see these, these bills being introduced under titles Ironically, like, uh, well, here it's called Youth Wellness Act. Um, in California and Washington, they've labeled them um, Healthy Youth Act. Um, but ironically, I, I think it does the opposite of that. I, I, don't, I don't think sexual experimentation promotes true youth healthiness. And so that's why we are deeply concerned about this bill. Mm. Well, Candy, one of the things that we uh, talk a lot about on the show is that Brian and I are both pastors. Um, that's our, our primary vocation. And uh, so... So candidly, I'm you know I'm not a politician, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a lawyer. Um, but from where you sit, what, what are what are the things? What are some things you hope that the church will do in response? Obviously, knowing that churches run the gamut um, politically, socially, religiously, theologically. But what just from your vantage point, what are, what are some things that you hope uh, that the the church will do in response? Well, that's actually been heartening to see here. In fact, my own church pastor has been posting on his Facebook page about it, asking people to get involved, and, and that's really encouraging, because they realize that this is a dire moment that will have an impact on the majority of school-age kids in uh, Colorado schools, and it sets a precedent for the rest of the nation. And we and uh, yesterday, one of my colleagues uh, testified at the, at the state capitol, and there were over 300 people there I think a large portion of them expressing concern. And so people are awake to this and they are responding. Um, so we do hope that any time this happens, not only in Colorado but in other areas, that the church would play a key role in just going ahead and alerting parents about um, something's happening at our state capitol that has a direct effect on you as parents. And it's okay to make your voice heard. You, you have a right and responsibility as a parent to speak out for your child's health and your right to, to uh, guide what your child is being taught about the most sensitive subjects that there could be, including how they identify sexually and their relationships sexually. Those are things that the parents should have the first say in and as parents have the most intimate involvement with their child in. So that, 
those rights should not be robbed, and it's okay for you as a parent to speak up about that. We're excited to be talking to Candy Cushman from Focus on the Family. As a reminder, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to, to noon on this station, AM 1160. You know, Candy, as I read this uh, as it's being called the Youth Wellness Act in Colorado, it makes kind of a definitive statement when it says abstinence-only sex education in school doesn't work, that it's been proven that it doesn't work. What is your response to specifically that portion of the bill? I mean, boy, this is just amazing because you have this bill that basically bans abstinence education while promoting, going to great lengths to promote sexual experimentation and really opening the door up for there to be uh, explicit teaching about that. So what's frustrating about that is that we know that in the last two decades, um, youth experimenting sexually have dropped significantly. I mean, the fact is the majority of teens are choosing abstinence. So why aren't we supporting them in that? Why are we not encouraging them to maintain healthy choices instead of glorifying choices, promoting, pushing on them sexual experimentation that we know has been documented. It's been documented for a long time. Sex, uh, youth that sexually experiment are more open to, of course, STDs, significant emotional harms like depression, um, and not, you know, not to mention how they perform academically. They have lower academic performance when they are sexually experimenting as teens are more at risk for that. There are all these risks associated with it, and yet the majority of our teens are making healthy choices toward abstinence. So on, on its face, I just think this bill is illogical. So, Kenny, Kenny what, what advice or, or, or coaching would you give to parents of, uh, of school-age kids? My, my eldest is only 15 months, um, so this, like, this isn't a conversation with, uh, with him in our household yet. But what advice would you give to parents who uh, maybe either are listening in Colorado or here in Chicagoland um, who are wrestling through these same questions yeah. and these same legislative legislative moves, what 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 advice or coaching would would you give to them? Um, well, I give twofold advice. First of all, is not to be shy about defending your rights as parents. Um, I, ju- I just want to encourage people that that's a God given right, and it's okay to speak up about it. Um, and I, I think you can start doing that in a simple way if you have kids in school by getting to know your school board members and also your state legislators. Um, don't wait for something bad to happen. Start making those relationships now, building those relationships, and go ahead and give them information, you know, like on the Focus on the Family website about the things that concern you as a parent. And I always suggest to parents that, you know, they don't wait till there's a time to complain, but they come alongside school officials and say, here's some helpful information that might help you with finding a balanced approach to these issues that people care about. And when you have organizations like uh, Focus on the Family and, and maybe your, your radio station posts things, mm-hmm. um, you know, take advantage of those sites and um, share that information with your school officials. Uh, we have a specific site called truetolerance.org that has, for example, a model parental rights policy. Um, and that's a great thing to share with your school officials if you just want to make sure that your parental rights are strong in, in that area in the school. Um, and then also with your own kids, I would just encourage parents that it's, it's never too you're, it's never too young to start kind of protecting them in this culture and, and being proactive in you talking to them and not waiting for other people to take that authority. Um, and so, again, there are lots of resources to focus on the family that walk parents through that stage by stage. Um, my uh, vice president of parenting youth here at Focus on the Family, uh, Danny Huerta 
has great resources on that. And then there, there's a, a great document called The Talk put out by the head of our counseling department that walks parents through how to talk to their kids about sexuality through each stage of their life. Um, and that's all available on FocusOnTheFamily.com. So um, just some basic advice yeah. there just for encouraging parents that you're not alone. This is possible. You can do it. You, you can be a part of protecting and guiding your kids. Well, Candy, that's a great word. We're really appreciative of you joining us. Again, this has been Candy Cushman. Uh, she is from Focus on the Family, a leading national expert on education issues affecting both public and private education. Candy, thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys getting the word out. Our pleasure. Focus on the Family, as a reminder, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon on AM 1160. You can also find stuff there at Focus on the Family. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian, I think of all our music that brings us back, this is my favorite. This is right out of high school for me. It is? I think this one. I love this song. That says so much. One of these days, I'm just going to sing it. Why not today? It's a Friday, right? (laughs) It's a Friday. I can Uh, think of no good reason not to. No good reason. So uh, usually this is a two-hour show that goes till 6 o'clock, but today uh, we're going to end here in a couple minutes at 5 o'clock, but for a very good reason, we'd encourage you to stay with AM 1160 as uh, there's going to be a re-airing of Julie Royce's. Julie Royce's, is that how you say it? Julie Royce did a great (laughs) uh, program called The Church in Crisis. Uh, It's kind of a look at the evangelical church uh, in America, she's done a lot of work kind of uncovering and reporting on Harvest Bible Chapel, and that will certainly have a big focus of this. Uh, but it'll even go deeper than that, talking about Willow and Sovereign Grace and other um, kind of big churches and the problems that have come. And what does it say about the church? Uh, as we said earlier, Julie really has a bit of a prophetic voice, and yeah. we're excited for that. So that's going to be uh, right here a little bit after 5 o'clock. It runs for an hour. Uh, and for something that important, Ian and I were glad to give her one of our hours, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Happy to do it. Yep. Uh, so, Ian, on Desiring God, a new a new short book came out from John Piper about the amazing life of William Wilberforce. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of us know a little bit about Wilberforce, but he was an evangelical Christian and a member of parliament. He fought specifically for the abolition of the slave trade and against slavery itself hmm. until they were both illegal in the British Empire. So he's hmm. in Great Britain. And he played a huge role in the end of slavery. And so why do I want to talk about him today? Here's why. Something very interesting in reading about him that I found out that I didn't know. Uh, Wilberforce decided to fight against slavery at the age of 28. So at the age of 28, uh, we believe God gave him just this this yearning uh, to fight um, and to see the end and the abolition of slavery. So that's at the age of 28. Better 28-year-old than I was, for sure. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Speak for yourself. No. Uh, the slaves in Great Britain were freed when Wilberforce was 73 and three days before he died. No kidding. So uh, he went from 28, made it his life's mission, not only to preach the gospel and to pastor, but also primarily to see the end of slavery in Great Britain and the slave trade. Uh, and it took, uh, I'm going to do fast math here, 45 years wow. and happened three days before he died. I feel like there's a huge lesson in there. You and I just earlier today talked about distraction. Yeah. And I also think another aspect of our culture is like we're 
we're much more microwaves than crock pots, right? Like we yep. we yep. want everything done today, and if it doesn't happen today, then it's a failure. Like we we evaluate everything immediately. Yeah. Wilberforce went his entire adult life fighting for the abolition of slavery. And obviously there were movements along the way. It wasn't static. You know, it moved up and down. Uh, But it was abolished three days before he died at the age of 73. I feel like there's a really powerful lesson there. Yeah, I immediately think of uh, Eugene Peterson's long obedience in the same direction. Yes. If you've not read that book, read read that book. Um, It's just one of those prolific, prophetic types of books for me. Uh, the idea of a long obedience in the same direction. And, and in it, too, he talks a lot about, um, you know, we don't always get a Wilberforce situation where you actually see the completion of your life's work. A lot of times we're planting seeds, we're tilling soil that in our lifetime we'll never see the the benefits of. Yes. Um, but to continue to be faithful in that direction. And I, I actually used to use the microwave crockpot analogy a lot. But even hearing you say it, I'm wondering if I'm going to anymore because even the, the crockpot takes longer, but it, the the kind of appeal is that you just don't have to think about it, right? Yes. Like I turn a knob and then it just sort of happens naturally. And then, you know, 6 p.m. I have pot roast. I don't think that's helpful either, though, because mm. it requires like this intentional day in and day out, this um, often without fanfare, without applause. It's like sometimes the unsexy work of like working for justice, standing with the marginalized and oppressed. And I think um, that, man, that is that is a tough thing, particularly, like you said, in an age of distraction where we're always course correcting we're all you know with our attention we're like uh you know squirrel and we're running off in a different direction but i the other side of that though for me is that i do think there needs to be an ebb and flow in our own spiritual maturity too right there if i was still holding hard and fast to like convictions i had when i was 17 um there are things that i think i believed then that i don't know that i believe now and i'm grateful for like patient men and women who've come alongside me and helped me think differently about things so it is a double-edged sword for me too. Obviously, like you know, in in Wilberforce's case, the abolition of slavery is like yes, like run after that with with all your life. I just it's it's difficult for me to uh, to think about my own life in the midst of my life. Yeah, uh, you know what's the what's the long obedience and what direction that I want to I want to be about that I want I want to trade my life for. Mm, that's good. I feel like uh, as I as I read scripture, it, it models so much of Wilberforce's life in the sense that things rarely happen quickly. Yeah, right. Um, and yet I know for me, like I take church, for example, like I remember we started the church and like after a year, I wanted to evaluate whether the church was successful or not. Right. <laughs> like, whether right. It was right. And our church is so different now than when we started. And hopefully it's going to be really different you know, years from now. Um, but there's a life to it that that's really long. Like a lot of times we're all about the sprint and never about the marathon. And then that's, that's right. true for our personal lives. Right. Sanctification is a lifelong endeavor. Uh, but also, like you said, um, issues of justice, like, man, why doesn't this get better right now? Parenting. Why aren't my kids great right now? Marriage. Yes. Uh, I don't want to work on my marriage. I want it to be better right now and right. over and over again. And very little in Scripture happens right now uh, yep. outside of an, it's usually an amazing work of the Holy Spirit that is outside the norm when things happen quickly. That's right. Well, it, it's it ends up feeling a little bit like going to the gym on a Tuesday and being angry on a Thursday that I'm not ripped. You know, like we, like we know it doesn't work that way. And I think you, I think you hit the, the nail on the head and it's worth us talking about that sometimes, and maybe even most of the time, the work of the Holy spirit is a long, uh, patient overtime type of working. Absolutely. Like we want this, like, you know, 90 minute Hallmark movie, like, like obviously stuff can dramatically happen in a moment. And I'm, I'm not discounting that at all. 
but for the vast majority of us, like growing in these areas um, is is like working a muscle. It it is it is something that we need to like give ourselves to and work toward, even and especially when it's difficult, when it's hard. I'm sure Will before has faced all kinds of opposition, yes. and had plenty of mornings where he woke up and th- and thought, "Man, do I still want to do I want to be on on the receiving end of all of this?" And he made the commitment again and again and again. No, I'm, this is what I want to be about, and I I'm just that to me is uh, that's inspiring. And interestingly, if if slavery had been abolished a week later after Wilberforce had died, his work still would have been good. Yeah, he would not have wasted his life. And that's that's a reminder that we might work for some things that in our lifetime don't change, but it's still good work. Yes, and it's still things we should put our time to. uh, This I like that the kind of the long obedience uh, in the same direction. That's good stuff. It's the kind of stuff too that I think is hard to see the value when you're in the midst of it. It's the kind of stuff that I often hear people, you know, in their in their 80s and 90s talk about um, with fondness, you know, the faithfulness of that same direction. And also sometimes the regret where they you're like, yeah, I took a detour here. I lost motivation there. And I think in, when you're in the thick of it, it is hard to see like, man, is this making a difference? It is making a difference. Like allow the work of God, the spirit of God to move in and through you to chip away that which is not honoring to him and probably you know ultimately not like faithful to you either and like keep heading in that direction i think you can't go wrong a long obedience in the same direction i think that is a great motto uh for all of us to live our lives on well thanks for joining us it's an abbreviated show as julie royce is coming up next with the church in crisis we hope you stay and listen to that but this has been the common good on am 1160 hope for your life have a great weekend chicagoland Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.